Hello and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I'm here with a wonderful group of actors that's going to take us through Act 1 of The Taming of the Shrew. Last episode we went through the induction, a very strange duo of scenes. What do they mean? We still don't know. Um, But if you would like to hear a discussion, listen to the previous episode. But now they have shown Chris. Christopher or Christophero Sly, the beggar, they've put him in fancy clothes. They gave him a diaper. <laughs> they gave him a whole bunch of, of fun, shiny things. And um, what happens next is they say, hey, we're going to show you this cool play. And this is the play that they show him. So without further ado... Lucentio and Tranio, take it away. Tranio, since for the great desire I had to see fair Padua, nursery of arts, I am arrived for fruitful Lombardy, the pleasant garden of great Italy, and by my father's love and leave am armed with his goodwill and thy good company. My trusty servant, well approved in all, here, let us breathe and happily institute a course of learning and ingenious studies Pisa, renowned for grave citizens, gave me my being, and my father first, a merchant of great traffic through the world, Vincentio, come of Bentivoli, Vincentio's son, brought up in Florence. It shall become to serve all hopes conceived to deck his fortune with his virtuous deeds. And therefore, Tranio, for the time I study, virtue and that part of philosophy will I apply that treats of happiness, by virtue specially to be achieved. Tell me thy mind, for I have left Pisa and am to Padua come, as he that leaves a shallow plash to plunge him in the deep, and with satiety seek to quench his thirst. Me pardonato, gentle mastermind. I am in all affected as yourself. Glad that you continue your resolve to suck the sweets of sweet philosophy. Only good master. While we do admire this virtue and this moral discipline, let's be no Stoics, nor no Stocks, I pray, or so devote to Aristotle's cheeks as Ovid be an outcast, quite abjured, bulk logic with acquaintance that you have and practice rhetoric in your common talk, music and poesy used to quicken you, the mathematics and the metaphysics. Fall to them as you find your stomach serve you. No profit grows where no pleasure team. In brief, sir, study what you most affect. Gramercy, Tranio, well dost thou advise. If beyond Dello thou wert come ashore, we could at once put us in readiness and take a lodging fit to entertain such friends as time in Padua shall beget. But stay a while. What company is this? Lovely. So there we have it, the first bit of our play within a play. What are your impressions of these characters, Allie and Elizabeth? Um, what, 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 what sort of, um, what are their hopes and dreams, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? <laughs> and their relationship, too. Any well, it seems to me they're quite close to start, just in terms of their relationship. They're good pals, no? Yeah, they seem more like friends. Yeah. And I think Tanyo Tanyo has big dreams, definitely. <laughs> um, Tanyo is seems to 
yeah, know how to get what he wants in a way. Not afraid to speak up. I think that has something to do with the closeness, no? Not afraid to sort of, uh, yeah, say, say, <laughs> say what Yeah, really assertive. And I love that Tranio is like, let's not be yeah. too serious, though. <laughs> like, like, let's remember that also college is about partying. You know, I kind of get that vibe from Tranio. It's like, I know we're supposed to be here for your education, but also, like, Italy's the best. <laughs> um, Carol, go ahead. <laughs> if you've ever seen Jeeves and Worcester, um, Tranio is, is the very smart Stephen Fry Jeeves character and Lucentio is the airbrained Bertie Wooster. <laughs> uh, and, and it's interesting because you see the same thing in Comedy of Errors, uh, the Dromeos, mm. and it, it, that, that trope of the servant who's just way smarter than the person he serves. Uh, Lucentio. Yeah. Which is very comedious. Um. And it's, it remains that way throughout the play. And I think it's it's sort of interesting to see how how it affects Tranio to um, take part in the in the plot that he's about to take part in and then you know what he ends up with in the end. But 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 for mm -hmm. this, yeah, it, he's he is able to steer um, Lucentio. It's like that that joke about the man being the head of the house and the woman being the neck <laughs> turns the head yes my big fat yes. cake wedding <laughs> yeah so that's that that's tranio oh and uh, just a, a word note uh, line line 24 in mine is uh, satiety and what does that mean what is satiety to be satiated I, I to indulging? be fully satisfied oh interesting okay where is that um in I said the bottom of Lucentio's speech. Mm, satiety. The, the first speech. Sat satiety. Uh, Great word. Fun word. Fun new word for us. Uh, yeah, Will. This is just kind of a <clears throat> question as somebody who hasn't finished reading the play. Um, you mentioned going to college. Uh, yeah. And it, it was my sort of feeling when I re read this scene that, that they weren't there like to be at a school that he was just sort of there to learn about some stuff but so my question is like is he supposed to be in class the whole time that the play is happening like is he actually enrolled at an institution or is he just sort of there to read some books and whatever selfish that's a really that's a really great question i mean i feel like I love college and college means reading some books. So I just equated uh, reading some books with, <laughs> but there is, the, there's the three arts, right? Um, this is all courtesy of um, the ISC readers edition that logic um, was one of the three sciences that was studied during this time, along with mathematics and philosophy. So I, I get the sense that there is, whether or not attending university, perhaps like Lucentio's come similar to what we see Bianca and Catherine undergo to like engage tutors to come and, and, and be taught in, in fair Padua. You know, that was actually one of my favorite moments in um, the ACT production from the 70s 
where every time they said Padua, the whole ensemble would go, hooray! Like, it was just like this. But I, I do feel like there is so much exposition in this first speech, too. This is like, all right, my name's Lucentio, this is Tranio, and let me tell you my entire life's history in one speech. So um, is, isn't yeah. there also, at least I know there was in England, a tradition of, you know, young men touring around Europe ostensibly to educate themselves, but really to get laid and drink a lot. And, so right. college, yeah. Um, study abroad. Yeah. Bro <laughs> energy just continues from yes. like our ward in the, uh, in the induction. <laughs> and for, for listeners who have just, I'm, I, our first episode of, of uh, The Two Gentlemen of Verona was just released as we're recording this. And that is also the very beginning of the play is Valentine leaving home and leaving his dear friend Proteus to go and see the world and make his way in it. And it's, it's, I think it's kind of a rite of passage for it should be very specifically noblemen who get to go do this. This isn't like all men, like working class men have to learn a trade and like do that. They do not have the luxury of having an endless gap year, um, as it were. Uh, yeah, Carol. I think, um, in Love's Labor's Lost, you know, the, the, the three yeah. young men come together and they're gonna they're going to study, they're going to learn. <laughs> and so there is this world renowned university, as Robin tells us in Padua, established in twelve twenty eight. But um Damn. it it yeah, I well I don't think he's like going to college the way we think of going to college, mm -hmm. but he's gone to partake of of the learning experience there. And of course, Tranio is hoping it will be a little more exciting than yeah. that. I mm. did just want to point out that we talked about Ovid a bit in the induction and all of those scenes from Ovid. And I love the fact that there's this like meta textual moment where Tranio was like, Ovid! <laughs> and, and we get that like, we know our source material. Hooray! Uh, Padua, hooray! And, and um, isn't it amazing yeah. that Tranio is the one yeah, Tranio's the one who so says Ovid, like, right? Yeah. Up is down. Up is down. And all the other philosophies, like talking about Aristotle and the yeah. Stoic. Like, he already knows everything they're going like, to learn about. He knows the things. He's read the syllabi uh, for the whole course, <laughs> and he's he's well-versed. Um, I also, just to, to put, it does seem to me that that's actually, that just strikes me as very important that Tranio is familiar with this language because it makes much more sense as we're going to see at the end of this scene when they make the decision, aha, we'll switch clothing and no one will know who the other is. Haha. -ha. Um, that Lucentio couldn't do that if he didn't have full confidence that Tranio was capable of pulling that off. So there's something, maybe there's something we're getting from the fact that Tranio is, is talking about philosophy and the Stoics and Aristotle and Ovid that, um, and metaphysics. I mean, how cool that metaphysics makes its way into the beginning of the play. Um, that we're getting we're getting clues, right? That like Tranio knows his shit, and it's going to be it's, he's a, a very important person to have in your corner. Um, hey, Ovid, not Ovid. Ovid, yeah, Ovid, the uh, metamorphosis. Ovid, yes, like Ave Maria, but with an O. <laughs> And a D. Of <laughs> day. Of it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, let us meet. Let's meet our main family here. So 
but stay a while what company is this um i remember very famously in the uh richard burton elizabeth taylor uh moment they very much set this this transition up they sort of put in throw in a sort of carnival between the end of that lucentio speech and here so that like there's a party they just happen upon this parade and they're like wow pedro is pretty rad um, and then they they see Bianca like running through the streets, and there's all these. Anyway, it's a whole it's a whole thing. They had a huge budget. It was directed by Zeffirelli. For those of you who know the Romeo and Juliet, so um, one of the classic uh, film adaptations here. Um, but in comes Baptista, Katharina, or Katarina, or Catherine, depending on the text. It's rather inconsistent, and I actually wonder if there's a reason that it's rather inconsistent. Bianca. Gremio in some scripts, Gremio the Pantaloon, which gives us a, <laughs> yes, thank you, Will, <laughs> gives us a, a sense of who that character is, um, Hortensio, and Lucentio and Tranio stand by, or are bystanders to uh, what we're about to see. So let us move on. Um, Ali, if you wouldn't mind giving us that last line. But stay a while. What company is this? Master, some show to welcome us to town. Gentlemen, importune me no farther, for how I firmly am resolved you know that is not to bestow my youngest daughter before I have a husband for the elder. If either of you both love Katerina, because I know you well and love you well, leave shall you have to court her at your pleasure. To cart her, rather? She's too rough for me. There, there, Hortensio, will you any wife? I pray you, sir, is it your will to make a stale of me amongst these mates? Mates, maid? How mean you that? No mates for you, unless you were of gentler, milder mold. If faith, sir, you shall never need to fear. I was. It was. Is this I was? It was. It was. What does it that means, mean? Uh, indeed. Mm. The archaic don't format. Use that enough. I know. It wis. We don't. It wis. <laughs> we don't use a wis enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> faith, sir, you shall never need to fear. A wis, it is not halfway to her heart. But if it were, doubt not, her care should be to comb your noodle with a three legged stool and paint your face and use you like a fool. From all such devils, good Lord, deliver us. And me too, good Lord. Master, here's some good pastime toward that wench is stark mad or wonderful froward. But in the other's silence do I see maids mild behavior and sobriety. Peace, Tranio. Well said, master. Mum, and gaze your fill. Gentlemen, that I may soon make good what I have said. Bianca, get you in, and let it not displease thee, good Bianca, for I will love thee ne'er the less, my girl. Pretty Pete, it is best put finger in the eye, and she knew why. Sister, content you in my discontent. Sir, to your pleasure, humbly I subscribe. My books and instruments shall be my company, on them to took and practice by myself. Hark, Tranio, <clears throat> thou mayst hear Minerva speak. Signor Baptista, will you be so strange? Sorry am I that our goodwill affects Bianca's grief. 
Why will you mew her up, Signora Baptista, for this fiend of hell, and make her bear the penance for her tongue? Gentlemen, content ye, I am resolved. Go in, Bianca. For I know she taketh most delight in music, instruments, and poetry. Schoolmasters will I keep within my house, fit to instruct her youth. If you, Hortensio, or Signor Gremio, you know any such, prefer them hither. For to cunning men I will be very kind and liberal, to mine own children in good bringing up, and so farewell. Caterina, you may stay, for I have more to commune with Bianca. Why, and I trust I may go too, may I not? What shall I be appointed hours, as though belike I knew not what to take and what to leave? All right, let's pause right there. Um, okay, so we've met our we've met our main family. What do you think that what what's the impression you have of the the, the dynamic between Baptista and his two daughters and and their dynamic as well? I I think he must just be so tired of the infighting. <laughs> A tired it's, father. It's wearying, yes. <laughs> and he would he would love to get them married and sort it out. Mm. You know, once again, we have a case of the Shakespearean MM, the missing mother. Like, where is the mother? Why is she never spoken about? These girls need a mom. It's very clear to me. Um, but and Happy Mother's Day, late to to all of those mothers out there. But yeah, where is the mom in like all these plays? I feel like if there was a mom in all these plays, like most of the bad shit that goes down would not have happened. She's probably um, <laughs> so maybe that's why. What was that? Will probably dead, right? I mean, mothers died in childbirth often. Yeah. It's very true. It's very true. But like all of them, that that <laughs> crazy. Every like, single one. Everyone except Volumnia because she's made of iron. Anyway. Um, yeah, I get a sense of weariness. But I think there's often in, in Shakespeare these um, really harsh fathers, and I don't think Baptiste is one of those. Mm. Um, he's not a Capulet. Um, he's. Yeah. I, I think he does actually love his daughters, and that and that does show um, a bit later on. But but I think the overriding thing is his his just being worn out and annoyed by all the all the broil. the circus. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, he takes great pains to let us know that he wants his daughters brought up well, right? Shakespeare gives us a lot of textual evidence that it is important to him that his daughters are well-educated, which is just not something we hear about in most plays, especially with the relationship between fathers and daughters. So that is important to me, right? That, that first we have this idea at the top of the scene about sort of metaphysics and the arts and Ovid and literature, and then we have someone who's going to sort of blow off his studies for the rest of the play. But we do have this father who's making this a priority for his daughters. And of course, it's used to quite comic effect because none of the people who come in to be tutors are actually tutors or know what they're talking about, which is, you know, in itself kind of funny because it adds to this continued theme of people pretending to be something that they aren't, which is going to keep driving doesn't, his play for doesn't Moliere play on that as well one of one of Moliere's oh, okay. about the which yeah which one was it I'm thinking of where he comes in as the fake instructors oh god I think it's Tartu. yeah Tart that, that might be to yeah that might be Tartu. well Tartufi comes in as the fake priest yeah. oh that's the priest right, right. <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, yeah. It just seems like it seems like a a standard trope of of this century. Well, and and especially in comedies, too, right? Like mistaken identities and farce is all about like people pretending to be who they're not. And that continues, you know, to this day with with sitcoms. You always get funny situations where someone's like, oh, yes, and I'm a doctor. And then like the doctor arrives and they have to pretend to be somebody else. And (laughs) we need a marine biologist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And. These two suitors, Gremio and Hortensio, what are your impressions, Gremio and Hortensio, of who these people are and like what motivates them? So for for me, for Gremio, I think I, you know, I take the pantaloon uh, phrase very seriously in the sense that I think that indicates primarily that he's old he's very old Mm -hmm. and he's interested in this girl who's probably about 13 right and you know as would be common but but he you know is um I think just very very much eager to to marry Bianca and and to you know be judgy of Katharina and then I think the humor of that, or it sort of depends on how you play it. This whole scene with the with the two guys going, "Oh, you're you're so annoying to to Kate that, you know how how unpleasant is she making herself really? You know, the, I, I think I've seen productions where she's playing it actually pretty normal, and they're just like way overreacting to what she's saying, mm-hmm. and then there's other productions where she is like being pretty, um, you know shrill i guess in her in her tone and kind of snapping at everyone um and I, it's, it's not clear to me from the text what shakespeare intended like whether she is really kind of grating or not mm. everything that she says is you know fairly logical and a you know it's not like she comes in and she just is totally unhinged and crazy or anything she yeah, did. it's one of those things where everyone tells her what she is, but she, mm. especially off the top here, says very little to prove it herself. It's kind of like, and she enters, and everyone's saying she's such a jerk, and like, uh, but I'm not a jerk. Like, oh, you would say that because jerks <laughs> say that. Like, um, it's it is weird. I d- but I don't I don't love the idea that she just is totally normal and everyone else is just making it up. Like, I think it doesn't really work that well if that's how you play it. Like, she has to be making herself somewhat unpleasant. She hits multiple people. Like, she is the prime (laughs) instigator of violence in this play. So I would just put that out there as whatever does happen to her. Not to justify it, but she definitely has some violent physical behaviors that manifest themselves in some of the scenes that we're about to see. Yeah, Elizabeth. Yeah, I think it's problematic sometimes to say like who the character is, you know, because that's up to us to discover, to say like, mm. she is this or she is this. Yeah. But what we can know from the text, is that she gets what she wants. She asks for her sister's dress and she gets it. She, she, she can tear up off a dress she can whatever she can say whatever she wants to her father and patricio is the only one who says no and Mm. i don't know i read i read that love maybe does change it does change her i read that she starts in a very different place than she ends no 
And I think that's because she can't have what she wants, exactly what she wants anymore. I think that's a real thing. Yeah, I, I'm very fascinated by the relationship between Catherine and Bianca. I was wondering, Koi and Morgan, if you have any any thoughts about this um, and about sort of their outward presentation to the world is very different, as as we we'll, as we get a hint of right here. Um, did you have any thoughts on this sort of sister relationship? Uh, so I've. So I haven't read all the way through yet. So I'm, I'm just going based off of this scene and Bianca's one line. Uh, we're, we're right in these four lines we get, uh, sister content you and my discontent is like, okay, you're, you're, you must be taking joy in like, because now we've, we've set up this situation where uh, Bianca can't marry until Catherine marries. And so, and Bianca's thinking that Catherine's delighting in this in some bizarre sisterly torment, perhaps. And uh, I, I can tell this, that Bianca's also a bit uh, dramatic as well in the way she's just like, oh yes, I'll just be in my room by myself alone, playing my instruments and reading my books, just, you know, by myself, it's fine. <laughs> My God, Morgan! I think Bianca must play mandolin for sure. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of interesting that they manifest their behavior differently because, yeah, Bianca takes a more feminine role and she doesn't get what she wants. And you could argue that Kate takes a sort of masculine smack them around, and you know, she just she doesn't behave like a woman, but in some weird way, she gets what she wants because of it. Versus Bianca just being like, "Could I please get married?" You know. I don't know where I was going with this. No, no, I think that's that's absolutely right. I think also just something to point out that Cat Catherine, Kate, um can read people really well, right? That the the line about a pretty Pete, it is best put finger in the eye and she knew why. Like what she's saying there, it's it's a little bit difficult. She has very archaic language. That's the other thing I noted about about Kate with the Iwis and all of the all of that stuff but so she's essentially commenting on Bianca's like submissive behavior and saying like if you were to stick your finger in your eye and make yourself cry to get what you wanted you totally would which we get that impression a bit too that Bianca's like oh don't worry about me I'll just sit in my room with my books and be pretty you know and it's like <laughs> it's like oh god you know um but I, I I think and and her and her her line about the to her father, is it your will to make a stale of me amongst these mates? Like that is such a she's kind of pointing out to me the the kind of strange pimping out that has that 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 the father is doing in terms of of his daughters you know there there is something really um kind of disturbing about the way these these marriage well how much money will you give me for my daughter you know just that the way in which these these marriage interactions and dowry interactions it's very very much just a step away from prostitution to a certain extent there is an exchange of goods and services right so there is there is like pointing that out um to me is, is quite interesting will did you have something too well but it does seem a bit 
a bit different from <clears throat> because she's the girls are the ones with the money though right like and mm -hmm. and the father is desperate to find a man who will take the daughters off his hands and take his money so it's i think it is a different dynamic a little bit in terms of the transactional nature of it than it would be maybe later on in history where you know the the man is supposed to be uh you know putting up some kind of financial uh you know offering for the woman um however we will see that with regards to bianca we will see gremio and Tiranio disguised as lucentio basically saying i'll give her two ships i'll give her a farmhouse and here's all the furniture i have so there is it does seem to be like kind of a uh a two-way street in terms of uh goods and services but that they're both you were getting the dowry but also that sometimes they would have to pledge a certain amount of money to the woman or um as what happens with uh bianca it's sort of like will all this be go to her if he dies before if the husband dies you know like who's going to take care of her essentially so sometimes I think those interactions also happened in, in terms of the, the dowry um, exchange. But yeah, yeah, Carol and then Grayson, please. Yeah, I think what Elizabeth said is really on point, which is that Katerina looks at Hortensio and Gremio and says, oh, you've got to be kidding. I'm way <laughs> smarter than them. I, I'm just, I'm in a whole other league and this is what my choices are. And yeah. I, I think that her relationship with her sister, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what happens as you're watching the beginning of, of King Lear. So you think you know who the good daughters are and who the bad daughter is, and you don't. Mm -hmm. um, it, it looks it looks as, as if um, the dutiful sisters, um, <laughs> Conrell and Regan, and, you know, they turn out to be horribly treacherous. And Cordelia, who for the time, you know, an audience at that time would have looked at her and seen her as totally out of line and um, rude, but she's the one who really loves her father. So here, I think, yeah, Bianca, and and she's, she's already become the object of Lucentio's obsessive love. Yeah. And it, it didn't take long, you know, oh, her mild behavior and sobriety, shut up, let me look at her. Okay. It didn't take long and it didn't take much. No, yeah. was, he was right there. And and Katarina did threaten to to comb someone's noddle with a yeah. three-legged stool, but she's a truth teller. Yeah. Yeah. Grayson, go ahead. So uh, on another point, um, Katarina is so sour and the lines are sour, et cetera. But of course, we have a man reading these lines, at least to my ear. It didn't sound nearly as sour perhaps, as it would in a woman's. Interesting. Uh, well, and there's, you know, there was, I was actually just watching a a thing about um, accents and, and vocal fry and that people really hate vocal fry when they hear it in female voices, but they don't mind as much when they hear it in a male voice. So there is something really interesting about these kind of strange double standards we have in terms of the way we hear and receive things, right? It's like what's oh, vocal like, fry? Vocal fry is it's sort like, of like you're dashing, so like your voice just breaks. You yeah. slow down the 
your voice is actually like you're slowing down the it's attempting to drop physics. your voice to a lower register and then you lose the breath to support <laughs> yeah and over time it actually does damage your voice all voice teachers will be like don't do it's really line. popular for professional women in in the last like 30 years a lot of professional women tend towards it because they're trying to it's what happens when you try to lower your register and you don't have enough support on that drop. Mm -hmm. And then, it, it, yeah, it comes out like Ariana's talking where it's like creaky. Yeah. Or, yeah. Wasn't where I could be a woman as a profession. I'm being a professional woman soon. <laughs> and yes, Morgan, I would totally agree. Not nearly as delicious as the French fry. <laughs> totally, totally agree. Um, okay, so Bianca made her sort of, I love the, go in, go in, Bianca, go inside. And Kate, you can stay outside and be oogled at by all of these horrific men. <laughs> um, it's so funny. When, Kate has this very interesting thing where it's like working, like, I, I don't work in a, in a, in a, with a lot of bosses with, but my partner has, you know, like a lot of the political um, office intrigue that's going on. And it's the type of thing where if you're in an office or it's in a, in a situation like what you described, Ari, where she's coming in, like, these are the men you're, we're presenting to you. You have no choice. And if you're, if you're someone like, yeah, we worked 80 hours last week and they don't pay us any overtime. All of a sudden you're the jerk for saying that yeah. um, just because you speak up. And Kate's that kind of, she comes in and she's just like, okay, so this is what I'm seeing. And, oh, so you're not letting me do anything. And, all right, well, you're a jerk. But it's also, a lot of it is very reactive. Um, on, even unlike what Bianca says, we're like, I'm going to be doing this with my stuff. Kate's kind of like, you're doing that with this. And you're over here doing this. And you're telling me I can't do this. So she's also not revealing a lot. And she's not offering anything new. She's kind of mm -hmm. reacting to things that are happening, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Don't you think also, though, that she's to some degree, I mean, to some degree, she's repulsed by the men because they're old and gross, but, and stupid and annoying. But I think to some degree, she's also kind of like upset that, I mean, she must be kind of upset that nobody likes her and they're all super mean to her all the time, right? I mean, it's not like she's being offered to these lecherous guys who are drooling over her. They're not. They're drooling over her sister and telling her she's worthless. So, I mean, that must not feel great across time, right? She's, she's this, this has been the case for her for years, probably, that everyone's like, not you. Get out of here, you know? I agree. There's something going on in the history that we don't know, right? Which is mm. if it's not if it's not immediately clear, and we're trying to say that Bianca's beautiful and Kate's not, or we're trying to do something like extremely visual between the two of them, then there's a history there, which is they've they've been receiving this for months or years or whatever, and that's cre and, and so the, this behavior has become a pattern for everyone. Yeah, I do think the nature nurture thing definitely comes in here of like ha the I clearly like these two women have been treated differently for a significant enough uh time. There was something really interesting in the the RSC uh theater production that had swapped almost all the genders um where it was Bianco and Kate, right? And um 
And Bianco had this like super flowy long hair and he was constantly like playing with it and like flicking it back and and like Hortensia and Gremia where I was like, oh, like every time he would do the hair flip. Um, and I do I do wonder if there is like just something like that. It's just supposed to be. We're supposed to see with Bianca how easily it is for her to manipulate men, including her father, in this this tiny moment that we that we get that moment um, that we see her, that she sort of puts on this performance and how much power in this strange way she has by putting on this performance of submission. And it, it, to me, it's like we got to remember that for the end of the end of the play that's important so true yeah one of the things our our katarina's talked about was how much you know after you after you get told over and over again that you are a problem at a certain point as a kid you just decide fine i'll be a problem yeah yes Watch me do it absolutely absolutely i agree and also i see that a lot and also i think that maybe we can even think that there's something spoiled. There's something spoiled of her, of her. you know? Maybe there's something, maybe there's even, maybe there really is something to correct. Mm. I say that with all the feminism in the world, but like someone that actually wants to take responsibility for you with all of your flaws, that's a, that's, that's a real thing. It's not like we're perfect, no? Yeah. Well, and, and also I would say that anyone who constantly hits other people definitely needs some sort of behavioral modification because that's just not an efficient way to go about interacting in a social way. But yeah, let's let's move on to to hear uh, Gremio and Hortensio's relationship uh, develop a little bit so we get more of a sense of them. I also, well, I would say that I I do think that Gremio is, is supposed to be the rich pantaloon character. I think Hortensio is totally different. I think Hortensio could be any age. I don't know, Zoe, if you had any thoughts about this. I mean, I definitely, in experiences with the play, I think he's definitely portrayed as younger than Gremio. Yeah, yeah. If he's Bianca and Kate's age, I don't know, but definitely significantly younger mm -hmm. in the casting that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I... I think it would be really interesting if, if Hortensio was actually, it could be interesting if Hortensio was of the same age as, that That could just be a really interesting way to, to complicate the play. Um, anyway, let's, let's, let's get to know Gremio and Hortensio a bit more. So whenever you are ready. You may go to the devil's dam. Your gifts are so good, here's none will hold you. Their love is not so great, Hortensio. But we may blow our nails together and fast it fairly out. Our cakes dough on both sides. Farewell. Yet, for the love I bear my sweet Bianca, if I can by any means light on a fit man to teach her that wherein she delights, I will wish him to her father. So will I, Signor Gremio. But a word, I pray. Though the nature of our quarrel yet never brooked parl, know now, upon advice, it toucheth us both that we may yet again have access to our fair mistress and be happy rivals in Bianca's love to labor and affect one thing specially. What's that, I pray? Marry, sir, to get a husband for her sister. A husband? A devil? I say a husband. I say a devil. Thinkest thou, Hortensio, though her father be very rich, any man so very a fool to be married to hell? Tush, Gremio. 
though it pass your patience and mind to endure her loud alarms. Why, man, there be good fellows in the world, and a man could light on them. Would he take her with all faults, and money enough? I cannot tell. But I had as lief take her dowry with this condition, to be whipped at the high cross every morning. Faith, as you say, there's small choice in rotten apples. But come, since this bar and law makes us friends, it shall be so forth, so far forth friendly maintained, till by helping Baptista's eldest daughter to a husband, we set his youngest free for a husband, and then have to it a fresh. Sweet Bianca, happy man be his dole that he runs fastest gets the ring. How say you, Senor Gremio? I am agreed. And would I had given him the best horse in Padua to begin his wooing, that would thoroughly woo her, wed her, and bed her, and rid the house of her. Come on. Okay, so what more do we know about these dudes? I will not call them gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's so interesting that we started out with, with poor Christophero Sly being fooled. And now we've got these guys sort of disguising their intents. And and this theme is going to keep going throughout the play is nobody is really honest, Mm. except actually Petruchio and Katerina. Yeah. Yeah. Because like Petruchio comes, like we'll we'll see in in his entrance and he's like, I need money. Like (laughs) he doesn't like, he just comes in and is like, cash wanted now. (laughs) Wife, wealthy, goal, check. <laughs> like that's like, which is amazing because not neither of them are really like saying, "Oh yes, I need to marry so that I I can have money." But I I do love that 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 is a really great point. Um, I I I one of the things I notice about these two dudes is, <laughs> um, you know that sort of thing of like. Uh, the the guys who are just looking for a super docile, submissive wife, you know, being the guys who really couldn't handle anything else. Like the reason <laughs> that they're looking for that is because they just don't have the strength of character to deal with anyone who's going to give them any any sort of trouble about anything at mm-hmm. all, right? Mm-hmm. They they are not they sort of admit that they're like not man enough to handle Catherine. And they're like, yeah, but somebody will be, so we'll find it. <laughs> like, it's like classic, you know, uh I don't know, like beta male behavior in a way that they're like mm-hmm. Well, that that phrase is is um heavily used in this sort of dating, like online dating kind of Yeah. You know, alphas and betas and like i mean it's really kind of awful and stupid but but that's a fairly common you know yeah i I, thank you for saying that ali about the the incel culture which found its way into our two gentlemen of verona in a huge way and um talking about (laughs) the so-called nice guy and what happens when that toxicity is uh released as like two gentlemen of verona perfect example of incel culture so i would highly encourage our listeners to tune in to that because i do think that sort of that sort of psychology definitely finds its way a lot in these early plays um 
Wonderful. And, and of course, so Grem- so we, we learned that Gremio is going to look for a tutor, right, for Bianca. And Hortensio doesn't tell us what he's going to look for besides a husband because Hortensio's a few steps ahead, as we'll learn soon, is going to pretend to be a tutor so he can woo Bianca, which seems to be a very popular pastime with this cast of characters, <laughs> pretending to be a tutor. Um, any sort of final thoughts on, on this little section? I guess just that like it's kind of sad that these guys are they're in this sort of, you know, um, rivalry and Gremio is definitely not going to he's just gets the short end of the stick on all this. He, Hortensio is smarter than he is, obviously, and is gonna play him, you know. And Gremio is going to get nothing, which is exactly what he deserves because he's a pathetic weasel. But, but <laughs> I don't know. You, you see it all set up in this little exchange here, which is kind of funny. Uh, I really enjoy being someone who loves to cook and bake the like our cakes dough on both sides, which it seems to be like <laughs> is that a thing. Like, what does that mean? I think it means like. It's not cooked. <laughs> like... there, there was a note about that in the Norton. I'm not sure if, I don't remember what it was, but it me- it was an expression that meant something, obviously. Yeah, yeah. what I have is that, like, it, nothing's ready for either of us. Like, we won't be able to proceed. But I feel like I remember from near the end of the play that Gremio says the same phrase again. But I just love that idea that it's like, we've put it, we've taken this care, we mixed it up, we spiced it, we put it in the oven and it came out and it's just dough and we can't eat it. <laughs> right? It's like, it's not ready yet. Um, but yeah, it is, a, it is. A, and, and to blow our nails together, um, uh, which apparently was the same thing as like twiddling your thumbs. It was like an equally pointless endeavor. <laughs> Um, (laughs) uh, anyway, so, so we get that. So we've sort of, now we've gotten, we've met, let's see, Baptista, Katharina, and Bianca. And we know the two suitors, Hortensio and Gremio, who are interested. And now it's like the camera zooms back and we go back to Lucentio and Tranio, who have been all this while witnessing this whole shtick. Um, so let us... Let us uh, take the next little bit, Lucentio and Tiranio. I pray, sir, tell me, is it possible that love should of a sudden take such hold? Oh, Tiranio, till I found it to be true, I never thought it possible or likely. But see, while idly I stood looking on, I found the effect of love in idleness, and now in plainness do confess to thee, that art to me as secret and as dear as Anna to the queen of Carthage was. Tranio, I burn, I pine, I perish, Tranio, if I achieve not this young modest girl. Counsel me, Tranio, for I know thou canst. Assist me, Tranio, for I know thou wilt. Master, it is no time to chide you now. Affection is not rated from the heart. If love hath touched you, not remains but so. Redeeme to Captain Quan please minimo. Gramercy's lad, go forth, discontents. The rest will comfort, for thy counsel's sound. 
Master, you looked so longingly on the maid. Perhaps you marked not what's the pith of all. Oh, yes, I saw the beauty in her face, such as the daughter of, is this Agnor? How is this pronounced? I think a Genor, actually. I could be wrong about that. A, uh, I mean, that was my second guess, yeah. <laughs> Such as the daughter of a Genor had that made great Jove humble him to her hand when with his knees he kissed the Cretan sand. Strand. Saw you no more? Marked you not how her sister began to scold and raise up such a storm that mortal ears might hardly endure the din? Tranio. I saw her coral lips move, and with her breath she did perfume the air. Sacred and sweet was all I saw in her. Nay then, tis time to stir him from his trance. I pray, awake, sir. If you love the maid, bend thoughts and wits to achieve her. Thus it stands. Her eldest sister is so cursed and true that, till the father rid his hands of her, master, your love must live a maid at home and therefore he has closely mewed her up because she will not be annoyed with suitors. Ah, uh, Tranio, what a cruel father is he. But art thou not advised he took some care to get her cunning schoolmasters to instruct her? Aye, Mary I am, sir, and now tis plotted. I have it, Tranio. Master, for my hand, both our inventions meet and jump in one. Tell me thine first. You will be the schoolmaster and undertake the teachings of the maid. That's your device. It is. May it be done? Not possible. For who shall bear your part and be in Padua here Vincentio's son, keep house and ply his books, welcome his friends, visit his countrymen and banquet them? Basta, content thee, for I have it full. We have not yet been seen in any house, nor can we lie distinguished by our faces for man or master. Then it follows thus. Thou shalt be master, Tranio, in my stead. Keep house and port and servants as I should. I will be, I will some other be, some Florentine, some Napoleons, or meaner man of Pisa. Tis hatched and shall be so. Tranio, at once uncase thee, take my colored hat and cloak. When Biondello comes, he waits on thee, but I will charm him first to keep his tongue. So had you need. In brief, sir, Sith it your pleasure is, and I am tied to be obedient, for so your father charged me at our parting. Be serviceable to my son, quoth he, although I think it was in another sense. I am content to be Lucentio, because so well I love Lucentio. Tranio, be so, because Lucentio loves. And let me be a slave to achieve that maid, whose sudden sight hath thralled my wounded eye. Here comes the rogue. Sarah, where have you been? Where have I been? Nay, how now, where are you? Master, has my fellow Tranio stolen your clothes, or you stolen his, or both? Pray, what's the news? Sarah, come hither. Tis no time to jest, and therefore frame your manners to the time. Your fellow Tranio here, to save my life, puts my apparel and my countenance on, and I, for my escape, have put on his. For in a quarrel since I came ashore, I killed a man, and fear I was descried. Wait you on him, I charge you, as becomes, while I make my way from hence to save my life. You understand me? Aye, sir, narrow wit. And not a jot of Tranio in your mouth, 
Tranio is changed into Lucentio. The better for him would I were so too. So could I, faith boy, to have the next wish after that Lucentio indeed had Baptista's youngest daughter. But Sarah, not for my sake, but for your master's, I advise you to use your manners discreetly in all kinds of companies. When I am alone, why then I am Tranio. But in places else, your master, Lucentio. Tranio, let's go. One thing more rests that thyself execute to make one among these wooers. If thou ask me why, sufficeth my reasons are both good and weighty. Lovely. We'll just uh, pause there for a second because then we have this, our last uh, world into the play without the play. Right. Mm -hmm. um, this like tiny little bit at the end here. Um, okay. So Lucentio and Tranio, I really feel like Tranio is like every understudy's dream, right? It's like, it's like, wait, I get to wear the costume. I get to have all the lines. Oh my God. Like, I really get like such a theatrical thing going on with this switch somehow. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. He plots it too, no? I'm it's, sorry. He, he plots it too. I mean, he yeah. says, he says like, it's not, he, he feeds it. Yes. He feeds it. He feeds yeah. it to him. He lets him think it was his idea, but it's the feeling of like, yes, this is the kind of fun. <laughs> Not that dumb book shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it does remind me so much, Carol, of what you said about the the servant being the neck turning the head, right? Mm. It, it very much Tranio just Uched us along this this way. <laughs> and now he gets to play the Lord. Yes! You know, he, he gets to host the parties, have the house. This, this is this is a dream. Yes. I did want to go over that. So the... Also, Tranio speaks Latin, apparently, as well. I mean, just yeah. super useful. Super useful. Um, the redeemer... Uh, I, I, I don't speak Latin. But apparently what it means is buy yourself out of bondage for as little as you can <laughs> yeah I, I i looked up a translation that said regain your freedom at the lowest cost yeah yeah very romantic absolutely do it on the cheap um i i think there there is and it's it's interesting right wearing the colored clothing right um aristocrats were allowed to wear more colors in their clothing than their servants so it's like you get the cool hat you get the shiny things you've got blue and silver and gold and like whatever you know it's like it's like a pretty it's pretty great upgrade i feel uh, which is why i think it's so great when biondello comes in and <laughs> biondello's like oh man i wish i was here earlier i'm gonna like, wear the it. fancy clothes gosh dang it you know also like just freaking love you guys being like oh i have to hide my identity because i killed somebody I <laughs> like that is my other big question which is like <laughs> they tell him in the next scene that like this is not why we're doing this there is no danger like why did they make this up and then just it's like where does this come from? This like I, I mean, killed the guy. <laughs> I have I have a thought um, on why, and it's uh, that they're morons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, is definitely a moron. Like yeah, and he's, he's the one who's like, I murdered someone. <laughs> but can we just acknowledge how bad. bizarre it is that he 
has no conception of what is actually happening the entire scene even because he's so fixated on bianca even though bianca goes in at the beginning of the scene she's not there anymore for most of the scene and he still has no idea what's happening (laughs) (laughs) well and i love that sort of that moment to the audience that tranio has of like oh i gotta wake him up from his trance right which is like what we've just Mm -hmm. been in the induction scene we're waking up christopher sly from the like the the there's just all of these layers of reality that just seem to keep getting i would just say if you're if yeah. you're the actor playing Lucentio, you really think about how how are you going to do those lines where he's telling Biondello oh, what yeah. happened. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I killed a man. Where I, did that come from? I know. <laughs> like, it's so funny. Like, is he just coming up with in the moment? Like, what makes him decide that that's the best thing to tell this dude? They're all such dissemblers, as yeah. I said, except for Kate and Petruchio. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why, but this just gives me such um, Arrested Development vibes, like of, of Job, <laughs> like being like when he goes into prison and he goes up to his dad and his dad is like, what are you doing here? And he's like, life, man, I killed a guy. And he's like, what? <laughs> it's like, and then he's like, no, I'm just kidding. I just, I just decided to come in. <laughs> you know? and it's like, the guy's like, what are you, what, like, he's, why? He's full blown <laughs> Romeo. He was like, I'm here to study. Oh, a pretty girl. Yeah. Like, it's all gone. <laughs> all the plans go out the window. Um, yeah. And, I mean, it, what's, what is good, I think, that Lucentio does is he, he realizes that he needs Tranio to pretend to be him also with Baptista, right? So he needs a stand-in to sort of woo for him. But, again, it's like, there's just so much deception in this play. There's so many people deceiving other people and pretending to be someone they aren't. Um, and all of the, the names, like I love that, I love that the name that Lucentio is going to choose is Cambio, right? Meaning change, which just like emphasizes that here we are changing costumes, changing professions, changing all these, all these different things. Um, but it also just wanted to point out that I feel like the changing cl- clothes and the, the sort of physical comedy on stage to me very much puts this in a commedia play, right? That there's like, there's probably some funny lotsy, some funny trick where like one, like one of them takes off the costume and then the other one like puts it on over the costume and then the other one doesn't have any clothes and then is like, ah, and they have to undo the whole, like, I could totally see staging this in, in, in like a very funny bit. Um, and I, it, that's sort of the realm that I feel like we're existing in a bit is like in this comedia, not so much like the sort of kitchen sink drama of like the 1950s. Like, I feel like we're a bit, we're a bit frothy, light mm-hmm. frothy to quote Maybe the, that's- um, Joe Papp, right? We're in the we're in the sweet cream of an Irish coffee, and we will get down to the depths of the whiskey and the coffee. But right now, we're in the we're in the fluffy part. Yeah, Brit. <laughs> well, I was going to say you painted a really yeah interesting um, mental image there, and maybe it's not just like stupidity, but just the sense of like okay, we're caught, and one of those things we're like, well, clearly you know the uh, the reality, the obvious answer, the easiest answer, I can't say, so I've got to search for something. So you know, aliens yeah. came in. It's just you picked the biggest most extreme thing <laughs> absolutely not believable so 
Yeah, it would be pretty funny to see that physical comedy played out. There's and a land shark that's made me its target. Like, what? Yeah. And absolutely. just staging wise like that change happens so quick because by the time Biondello gets in there it's like they've already switched clothes yeah <laughs> so they gotta be like lightning fast like, can i ask a question those clothes yeah yeah totally clarifying sort of technical question who is Biondello, and does he know them or like what who is this sure. guy he's another servant yeah he's another one of uh Lucentio's servants, but clearly this sort of lower status between. I'm thinking that like if if in terms of like servant hierarchy, Tranio would be like the butler, and Biondello would be like the kitchen boy. Kind so where has he been? If, if getting he... the stuff, I think. I think if they were like on on a ship, he's like okay, he's looking after their luggage and. I thought he like lived in Padua and they were coming to no, visit. No, no. I think he's because we learn at the end of the play that the father, Vincentio, knows both Biondello and Tranio. So, well, and I say earlier, uh, Lucentio says earlier, if Biondello that were to come ashore. Yeah, there we um, go. So there yeah, go. I, I think the getting the stuff from the ship is okay yeah. plus yeah. then you can have like poor biondello coming in there with like All a the bunch luggage. of like heavy trunks or something be like what's happening the luggage gag i also love that biondello like two people that have changed clothes what is that from two people you know have changed clothes and suddenly you cannot figure out which one is which right like face this is such a strange trope <laughs> yeah he just has face yeah. blindness that's all face <laughs> Our our our, uh, our Biondello, after much thought, has decided that he's not the brightest bulb. He's not the sharpest <laughs> pencil in the box. So, uh, yeah, uh, his, and he has he has a, he has a lot of lines later on, sort of list making and describing. So he just gets really excited about all all the stuff he has to report. Aww. But he's not he's not the brains of the operation. No, yes, definitely. No. I I think he it's what's great about Biondello is Biondello exists in reaction to other things right like there's just a lot of it's it's that perfect thing of like what huh what you know and that, that you're not like contributing a lot to the dramatic situations you're sort of reacting to things happening which is just like a phenomenal comedy trope um, <laughs> but so then let us say our our final goodbyes <laughs> to the first serving man and christopher sly and the page who have been watching all this time and this is the first and last time that we will have a, a cutback to these people watching and then we will lose ourselves in the play so i guess our first serving man that's carol and then myrie and will okay whenever you're ready my lord you nod and do not mind the play as by saint anne do i a good matter surely comes there any more of it my lord, tis but begun. Tis a very excellent piece of work, madam, lady. Would twere done. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Miss Lady. <laughs> I know now. <laughs> I love it that, like, presumably, Christopher Sly fell asleep and was like, oh, yeah, that was great. Is it over? It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> And then ends with, I wish it were over. Like, 
<laughs> instead of like let's see what happens he's next. like that those like, muppets i wish he's it like... was over <laughs> yeah so good wish it was done if it is coming off a moment of kind of like comedic you know farcical whatever then that's like the moment you wouldn't tune it out that would be the moment where the audience is kind of laughing or something you know what i mean like oh absolutely absolutely this is like a thing where i want like somebody who isn't like really in the rest of the play like who doesn't feel the need to play a bunch of other parts like just play sly and like have him be in the audience the whole time yes. just like laughing drunkenly at everything yeah like <laughs> And the page doing a couple teehees, you know, it just at yeah moments. I think that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that is, I mean, that's the last time we see the entire play without a play, and it just seems to me like Shakespeare was going for a pre. <laughs> I'm gonna get really really nerd happy here so do forgive me a pre-Wagnerian Gesamtkunstwerk right like this is like a prototypical so Wagner had this whole thing about like the whole work of art right that you get lost in this whole work of art and I do kind of feel that um this is one of those moments where Shakespeare just was like okay so now we we've we've reminded the audience that they're watching a play within a play and now we can just let that drift or if perhaps a bit of the end went missing and you know that that could also that could also be Gesamtkunstwerk, <laughs> uh to which the response should be gesundheit right um anyway um, so that's our last moment with, with, uh, Christopher Sly, at least uh, having lines. I feel like there could be a really interesting way staging wise that you could sort of conclude the play and I don't know, do something with, with, with Sly and the Lord and everyone. And of course the Lord is pretending to be a servant in that world, as we just saw the master and the man switching, um, costumes on stage and roles um, but now we need to meet Petruchio, who comes to Wyvet Wellfully in Padua, right? And not Gremio, but Grumio. Um, this wasn't confusing enough. I know. It wasn't confusing enough. Let's make it more confusing. Um, Why, Shakespeare? <laughs> yeah. Why? Why make that choice? Why did you put an Antonio in literally every goddamn play? Um, <laughs> anyway... Uh, let us launch into Act 1, Scene 2, um, and we're going to see another master-servant dynamic, which is rather different than the ones that we've seen before. So whenever you're ready. Verona, for a while I take my leave to see my friends in Padua, but of all my best, beloved, and approved friend, Hortensio, and I trow this is his house. Here, Sir Agrumio, knock, I say. Knock, sir? Whom should I knock? Is there any man has refused your worship? Villain, I say, knock me here soundly. Knock you here, sir? Why, sir, what am I, sir, that I should knock you here, sir? Villain, I say, knock me at this gate and wrap me well, or I'll knock your knave's pate. My master is grown quarrelsome. I should knock you first, and then I know after who comes by the worst. Will it not be? 
Faith, sirrah, and you'll not knock, I'll ring it. I'll try how you can soul fa and sing it. <laughs> Mr. Salt, my masters. <laughs> now knock when I bid you, sirrah, villain. How now, what's the matter? My old friend Grumio and my good friend Petruchio. How do you all at Verona? Signor Hortensio, come you to part the fray? Con tutto il cuore ben trovato, may I say. Alla nostra casa benvenuto, molto onorato, signor mio Petruchio. Rise, Grumio, rise. We will compound this quarrel. Nay, tis no matter, sir, what he alleges in Latin. If this be not a lawful cause for me to leave his service, look you, sir, he bid me to knock him and wrap him soundly, sir. Well, was it fit for a servant to use his master so, being perhaps for aught I see two and thirty a peep out? Whom would to God I had well knocked at first and had not Grumio come by the worst? Senseless villain, good Hortensio, I bade the rascal knock upon your gate and could not get him for my heart to do it. Knock at the gate? Oh, heavens, spake you not these words plain? Sirrah, knock me here, wrap me here, knock me well and knock me soundly, and come you now with knocking at the gate. Sirrah, be gone, or talk not, I advise you. Petruchio, patience. I am Grumio's pledge. Why, this is a heavy chance twixt him and you, your ancient, trusty, pleasant servant Grumio. And tell me now, sweet friend, what happy gale blows you to Padua here from old Verona? Such wind as scatters young men through the world to seek their fortunes farther than a home where small experience grows. But in a few, Signor Hortensio, thus it stands with me. Antonio, my father, is deceased, and I have thrust myself into this maze happily to wive and thrive as best I may. Crowns in my purse I have and goods at home, and so am come abroad to see the world. Petruchio, shall I then come roundly to thee and wish thee, and wish thee to a shrewd, ill-favored wife? Thou'dst thank me but, for, but a little for my counsel, and yet I'll promise thee she shall be rich, and very rich. But thou'rt too much, my friend, and I'll not wish thee to her. Signor Hortensio, twixt such friends as we, few words suffice, and therefore if thou know one rich enough to be Petruchio's wife, as wealth is burden of my wooing dance, be she as foul as was Florentius's love, as old as Sybil, and as cursed and shrewd as Socrates' Xanthope, or, or worse, she moves me not, or not removes at least, affections edge in me, where she is rough as, the, as are the swelling Adriatic seas. I come to wive it wealthily in Padua, if wealthily, then happily in Padua. Nay, look you, sir, he tells you flatly what his mind is. Why give him gold enough and marry him to a puppet or an egglet, maybe? Or no trot with ne'er a tooth in her head, though she may have diseases as two and fifty horses. Why, nothing comes amiss as money comes with all. Petruchio, since we are stepped thus far in, I will continue that I broached in jest. I can, Petruchio, help thee to a wife with wealth enough and young and beauteous, brought up as best becomes a gentlewoman. Her only fault, and that is faults enough, 
is that she is an intolerable, cursed and shrewd and froward and beyond all measure that were my state far worse than it is, I would not wet her for a mine of gold. Hortensio, peace, thou knowst not gold's effect. Tell me your father's name and tis enough, for I will board her, though she chide as loud as thunder when the clouds in autumn crack. Her father is Baptista Minola, an affable and courteous gentleman. Her name is Caterina Minola, renowned in Padua for her scolding tongue. I know her father, though I know not her, and he knew my deceased father well. I will not sleep, Hortensio, till I see her. Therefore, let me be thus bold with you to give you over at this first encounter, unless you will, encom- <clears throat> unless you will accompany me thither. I pray you, sir, let him go while the humor lasts. Oh, my word, and she knew him as well as I do, she would think scolding would do little good upon him. She may perhaps call him a scornaise or so. Why, that's nothing. And if he begin once, he'll rail in his rope tricks. I'll tell you what, sir, and she stand him but a little. He will throw a figure in her face and so disfigure her with it that she shall have no more eyes to see withal and a cat. You know him not, sir. Terry, Petruchio, I must go with thee, for in Baptista's keep my treasure is. He hath the jewel of my life in hold, his youngest daughter, beautiful Bianca, and her withholds from me and other more, suitors to her and rivals in my love, supposing it is a thing impossible for those defects I have before rehearsed that ever Caterina will be wooed. Therefore, this order hath Baptista taken that none shall have access unto Bianca, till Katerina the Cursed have got a husband. Catherine the Cursed, a title for a maid of all titles the worst. Now shall my friend Petruchio do me grace and offer me, disguised in sober robes, to old Baptista as a schoolmaster, well seen in music, to instruct Bianca, that so I may, by this device at least, have leave and leisure to make love to her, and unsuspected, court her by myself. Here's no knavery. See, to beguile the old folks here, the young folks lay their heads together. All right, let's just pause there for a second. So what did we learn about Petruchio? So I had a question, which I did not even come up with until like probably we were through that exchange. Is he just, he's messing with his servant. He clearly wanted him to think that he perhaps wanted him to punch him in the face and was putting him to a test. He wasn't, he wasn't just, I, cause I was approaching it as if he honestly was like, I just told him to ring the door, but is there more going on than just that? I think that's really interesting, Britt. I'm not sure. I could see it being played either way that you're actually just like, come on, just like we just traveled a lot. Just like, come on, knock on the door or like knock it. Come on. And that, you know, Grumio is so literal um, that knock and rap, right, meant to beat someone. Knock me here. Wait, I'm supposed to hit you? Like, what are you, you know, because as we learn, like, Grumio is quite intelligent. So it does seem to be, like, they're either messing with each other or, you know, is this, like, their relationship? This is, maybe, to me, this is, like, the distillation of their relationship, is they're, like, both messing with each other yeah. all the time. It's a lot like... to be where Abbott and Costello came from. 
Also, I think of it as that thing after like a really long trip where you're like, what are you saying? Wait, what are you, what, what are you saying to me? Like, what are you, no? Yeah. Where are we? Yeah, it wouldn't make much sense for him to sort of be playing with him in that way because, you know, we've been talking about how in the play, him and Kate are kind of the most forward with and direct about what they want and what they stand for and all of that. So I was just truly just confused there with that moment, but. I think there's definitely a choice to be made, and I think it could it could work either way. I think, um, Carol, did you have something? Yeah. Uh, where there's just a lot of physical slapstick violence. Um, the master's yeah. always beating up the servant. The servant's always hopping around on one foot, going "Stop! Stop!" Yeah. But interestingly, too, which I think is important, Grumio's the thing that really stuck out to me was Grumio's speech here he'll rail in his rope tricks he'll throw a figure in her face he's talking about Petruchio's ability with language not Petruchio's ability to like hit someone or enact physical violence upon someone else right it's all about his skill and rhetoric yeah yeah so just sorry but um Oh no. He he is really intelligent and he remind reminds me of sort of a, a proto fool, an allowed fool mm. that disrupts language and tells us yeah. things about the character. And when Kate meets Petruchio, he's the first real wit that has he's no Hortensio, he's no Gremio, he's he's not quite at her level, but he's mm. pretty witty. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I also love the, she should have no more eyes to see with all than a cat. <laughs> Which is like, cats have really good eyesight. That's like, a, what a mm -hmm. funny thing to say. Yeah, Grayson, go ahead. <laughs> so, so I was picking up that he is not the sharpest pencil in the box, but on the other hand, he's uh, quick witted and feisty. Mm. So I was trying to do both <laughs> in, my, <laughs> in my reading. I, Try to do both of those at yeah, the same time right. and juggle a spoon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. But you know, if you were on stage, you'd have your costume, you'd have the slapstick, there'd be the physical, even the way I would walk. I mean, I'd have a lot more opportunity to um, flesh out the character. Absolutely. I, I also think that, that Grumio is kind of uh, funny in that Grumio seems to give us all the information that we need about Petruchio. And gives us that exposition mm -hmm. um, that Lucentio told us about himself at the very beginning of mm -hmm. this act, right? Mm -hmm. Grumio is so, almost like the narrator, and he does not give a neutral account of Petruchio, right? It's a very, mm -hmm. it's a very like pointed. And I see Grumio as having a really great relationship with the audience. That would be a relationship mm -hmm. that I would definitely want to cultivate if we were staging this. That like Grumio's like, oh. He, if he, if you know him the way I know him, oh my mm. God, you know, that, that mm. this is sort of a fetching character to the, to the audience. Mm. Um, I also just, I, <laughs> I just love how he's like, need money, need a wife. <laughs> so question about that. Do you think that Petruchio is being entirely honest when he says that all he cares about is money or, cause it seems to me that throughout the play, he enjoys all this quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And 
and doesn't, I don't think, talks much about money after this. So it seems to me that he might just be sort of, you know, making an excuse for why he wants to go see Catherine. But the reality is that he likes the idea of, you know, taming a shrew. Mm. Even, right? I mean, is there any, do you think there's any mileage in that? I, I think definitely, especially because of this one particular line, which is the happily to wive and thrive as best I may. Crowns in my purse I have and goods at home, right? He is actually already, like, wealthy. Um, and he's come to see the world. And he wants to get married. So it's like all of these things are on his list. He's like, want a wife, want to see the world. It would be great to get some money, but I'm actually already kind of flush with cash, right? So that, yeah, I agree that I don't think that that I I love the 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 line, like gold uh, the wooing dance, right? Like what his wooing dance looks like is is um uh and and that Grumio is like, oh yeah, oh make sure she's wealthy and give him some horrible like diseased something or like more diseases than two and 50 horses like um and hortensio is so clever here too i really feel like hortensio's like it's probably too much of a challenge for you so i won't i won't i wouldn't put that on a friend and i feel like in a certain way there there is a kind of egging on of petruchio like yeah (laughs) yeah he comes into this still three steps ahead he was three steps ahead of Gremio, he has this whole plan and suddenly Petruchio's in front of him and he's like, wait, the perfect person to enact everything. <laughs> and so he's I, like he and Petruchio, I get the sense they've known each other a long time. He knows what to say to get Petruchio on board mm, yeah. and tells him a lot of his plan. Like he doesn't say, I mean, he basically outright tells him, I need you to marry Catherine so I can marry Bianca. Yeah. Um, but just the way he's like egging him on and really just riling him up and Petruchio like can't back down from this challenge now. Like, yeah, he said too much. He's in too deep. Yeah. I, I get the sense that he has a singular focus, Petruchio. And like when he sets his mind to something, he just like will not give up. Yeah. Coy. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I really like how Hortensio describes her as like wealthy and young and beauteous and the best that becomes a gentlewoman, except that I wouldn't wet her for a mine of gold. Like <laughs> he that saves kind of the balance the is curse. really nice. He saves the Katarina the curse line till Petruchio's already all in. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. He, like it's and I keep thinking actually about what Will said uh, right at the beginning of this session, which is how all these guys are just so terrified. Like a lot of the words they're using are not that she's horrible, they're just that she's too much. <laughs> and it's like, she's, she talks um, she things that me. she thinks. She's, <laughs> she, she responds to me and says that I can't do everything I want. And this is too much, I can't take that. Yeah. We need someone else to hold. Like, I kind of like the idea of all these men just being useless and, and her just having some, <laughs> having a bit of agency and they're all blown away by it as if it's, it makes it really funny in my mind with, with that thought. Well, I am curious to see, you know, as we move forward, because yeah, it does seem like, you know, Petruchi is the only one who's going to really see her for who she is, you know, versus what all these other people just see is that facade of her, you know, which has to be very disarming. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
and I think they the, to do with the the wit right the it's not until act two when we have the the moment that they meet that we get really snappy dialogue it's like they un- they get each other's rhythms and they just like understand each other and there is something that's very harmonious um linguistically to me about that scene like there's just it resonates um yeah koi yeah there, there was something i just don't know if i'm the only person who's thinking this but um i keep looking at petruchio and kate as as like the younger version or like like of of with our our much ado lovers yes very much very right much. they're these this kind of like oh they don't like each other and they're both witty but it feels like if if taming of the shrew ended with like oh they can't get married we have to go to war and then much ado is kind of like they come back like all right let's finish this off yeah um, they remind I me totally so much agree. of each other constantly in fact, I did a, a whole workshop of romantic scenes in Shakespeare um, that sort of tracked the different ages of, of love, like from uh. the young lovers through to the sort of, I called them the battle of the sexes couples, which I think are like <laughs> Kate and Petruchio and Beatrice and Benedict. And yeah. then it went to sort of like special circumstances, like when <laughs> one of them is a donkey. And then um, it went to like the more complex couples of like Iago and Amelia, who we don't really mm. think of as a couple. I was like one of the great, lo- but they just have such a complicated relationship and Antony and Cleopatra and the Macbeth couple. And it was really interesting, mm-hmm. like tracking and, and, and you do kind of feel how the writing shifts and matures as the playwright matures, right? That, that mm. there is a kind of instinct um, in these early plays that I feel, and there's a little bit more reflection about the characters and particularly the women as the plays get that's, older. They, they just, that's interesting. Cause three dimensional because they're also, there's also a kind of, you know, it's, it take I, from com, coming from, from the position of an actor, right. The more genuine and, and pure anything you're going for, I find personally that's those are the hardest things to mm-hmm. to really get honestly is like the just pure you just love them that's all you just love them deeply like they're the most important thing in the world we just want to see that okay go right as it's much easier to have the wit and the and banter and stuff that you're yeah. playing on top of everything as a kind of reaction or defensiveness and it's interesting that that the playwright himself might have been also finding uh his comfort in in finding those more honest and simple moments between lovers. Mm. That's, I don't know. I'd like never one of the, that. I think one of the favorite, my favorites in, in terms of the young lovers that just for me is like really shows the, the beauty of those moments is like Ferdinand and Miranda, you know, which is from one of the later plays mm. and their interaction is just like, is so honest and so, and so simple, but like so much more kind of, maturely crafted to me than for example um well valentine and sylvia in in two gentlemen of verona who who barely have any time on stage together or even julia and proteus who like have one scene together um you know but just that ferdinand and miranda there is this like innocence and this earnestness that comes through the writing Mm -hmm. 
about that about these young lovers that so so just tracking also the way in which different types of lovers sort of their hmm. change as the playwright gets older too is just really really interesting to me um but I think this is such a great setup, right? We, we get so much intrigue. There are so many people pretending to be things that they aren't and disguising and who <laughs> knows what. Like, it's just, I feel like Shakespeare is giving us such a recipe for really great comedy because everyone has to remember who they're playing and who knows who, they're, who, who they actually are, right? So that can go horribly wrong. And I feel like that is what we're, we're setting up a grand old farce here. Um, and, and that's what's, what's really important, right? Act one is always the setting of the stage. And I feel like we're setting up a stage for a lot of complication, a lot of mistaken identity, and much hilarity and slapstick. Um, so, um, then in comes now we're gonna we're gonna have Grumio and Gremio on stage at the same time. Oh boy! Um, so let's let's have everyone come back on in, and we're going to introduce uh, Petruchio to Gremio. And Hortensio is oh no, Hortensio is not in disguise yet. Okay, cool. All right, <laughs> not yet. Okay, so uh, Grumio, Hortensio, and Gremio, whenever you're ready. Master, master, look about you. Who goes there? Ha! Peace, Grumio. It is the rival of my love. Petruchio, stand by a while. No proper stripling in an Oh, very well. I have perused the note. Hark you, sir. I'll have them fair, very fairly bound, all books of love. See that at, at any hand, and see you read no other lectures to her. You understand me. Over and besides, Signor Baptista's liberality, I'll mend it with a largesse. Take your paper, too, and let me have them very well perfumed, for she is sweeter than perfume itself, to whom they go to. What will you read to her? Whatever I read to her, I'll plead for you, as for my patron, stand you so assured, as firmly as yourself were still in place. Yea, and perhaps with more successful words than you, unless you were a scholar, sir. Oh, this learning! What a thing it is! Oh, this woodcock! What an ass it is! Peace, sirrah! Grumio, mum. God save you, Signor Gremio. And you are well met, Signor Hortensio. Trow you whither I am going? To Baptista Minola. I promised to inquire carefully about a schoolmaster for the fair Bianca, and by good fortune I have lighted well on this young man, for learning and behavior fit for her turn, well read in poetry and other books. Good ones, I warrant ye. Tis well. And I, and I have met a gentleman, have promised me to help me to another, a fine musician to instruct our mistress, so shall I know wit be behind in duty to fair Bianca, so beloved of me. Beloved of me, and that my deeds shall prove. And that his back shall prove. Gremio, tis now no time to vent our love. Listen to me, and if you speak me fair, I'll tell you news indifferent good for either. Here is a gentleman, whom by chance I met, upon agreement from us to his liking, will undertake to woo cursed Catherine. Yeah, and to marry her, if her dowry please. So said, so done is well. Hortensio, have you told him all her faults? I know she is an irksome, brawling scold, 
That be all, masters, I hear no harm. No, sayest me so, friend? What countryman? Born in Verona, old Antonio's son. My father dead, my fortune lives for me, and I do hope good days and long to see. Oh, sir, such a life with such a wife were strange. But if you have a stomach to it, God's name, you shall have me assisting you in all. But will you woo this wild cat? Will I live? Will he woo her? I or I'll hang her. Why came I hither but to that intent? Think you a little din can daunt mine ears? Have I not in my time heard lions roar? Have I not heard the sea puffed up with winds, raged like an angry boar, chafed with sweat? Have I not heard great ordnance in the field and heaven, heaven's artillery thunder in the skies? Have I not in a pitched battle heard loud larums, neighing steeds, and trumpets clang? And do you tell me of a woman's tongue that gives not half so great a blow to hear as will of chestnuts in a farmer's fire? Tush, tush, fear boys with bugs. For he fears none. Hortensio, hark, this gentleman is happily arrived. My mind presumes for his own good and yours. I promised we would be contributors and bear his charging of wooing, whatsoever. And so we will, provided that he win her. I would I were as sure of a good dinner. <laughs> Sorry, I was, I really enjoyed that rhyming couplet. That was a winner dinner. Um, okay. So the plot thickens. Um, we, it is worth noting that Gremio has gone back on his word to Hortensio, right? By um, getting this tutor who he's instructed to woo Bianca, of course, not knowing that the tutor is already in love with Bianca and that the tutor is Lucentio. So they're all lying to each other, right? Everyone's lying. Um, and I I do get this sense with Hortensio and, and Gremio of this sort of like forced politeness. I don't know if either of you get that at all, but it's the sort of... Oh, yeah. My good sir, you know, like there's something very like put up, put on with their manners to each other. Well, they agreed in the last scene that they were going to be friends for now, but yeah. they still clearly, you know, aren't. Friends. And they're working together. They have a common goal. Yes. And Absolutely. it doesn't help if they're also fighting each other. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, I also just petruchio in this scene go ahead brit i just like love that that speech like have i not heard the thunder roar i just feel like <laughs> I was probably say, yeah. hasn't <laughs> you're just talking about the other characters and how they might be interacting and yeah i got this again it's just sort of a, a mental image of those characters it's very everything is precious and everything needs to be figured out and you're this person i'm that person oh, but i've got this guy and every now and then petruchio just comes in as well, you remember when I was in the seas and yeah. I got this, you know? He's like very direct. He's like, like maybe he's eating an apple or something. He's like, no, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be good. You know, I'm ready. There is definitely like, he has entered and the way in which the other two, thank you for this term, will beta males have reacted to him. Like he is very much the alpha male in this room at this moment, right? He's sort of, they're all like, wow. <laughs> you know, like they just have right. this like, this like, awe of like this this crazy crazy man um, i also Ari, i also got the sense that that um hortensio and gremio are actually much more comfortable 
with this level of courtship than with actually having to talk to Bianca themselves. And I think they're, to some level, they're quite happy to sort of take a step back and go, okay, but let's be friends with each other and like, we'll come up with a plan and this feels much better this way. And and then like, they get this, like he goes out and he finds this young, hot guy. My character's like 90 and he goes and finds this like 25 year old stud. And he's like, I got a great tutor and you're gonna woo her for me, right? Like, and he actually believes this. So. Right, I mean, the level of stupidity of 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 that and and just this and patheticness is is over the top. <laughs> I love it. Crimio's ninety. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they they did do a a wonderful lotsy in in that. I really recommend seeing the 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 ACT production from the 70s. It was full on comedia, but whenever Gremio would breathe on someone, his breath was so bad that it would make them fall over. <laughs> so at one point, <laughs> at one point, he was coming up next to Petruchio and Petruchio took his hat off and put it in his mouth and he knocked himself out with his breath. It was like such a great like stage business thing. So it was good. just so funny. So I, I definitely feel like there is there is that level of of slapstick um can definitely exist in this, uh if if you would like. Uh to push it that way. And I also, again, Grumio, like talking to the audience, right. Is like just commenting on how ridiculous, like, I love that he immediately sees Grumio and is like, Oh my God, look at all money bags over here. You know, <laughs> there's like, there's just absolutely no, no pretense with Grumio. He's just, he just calls it as he sees it, you know, which is really fun to have that on stage, to have that energy on stage. I really, I need you now to eat an apple uh, during the scene, Britt. I love that image. <laughs> All the Trixie characters eat apples on stage. Right. <laughs> it's like like Lucio in Measure for Measure has got to be eating something. And it is like. Brad Pitt and everything. Well, especially. Oh, yeah. It's just because his jaw looks really good when he's eating. That's why. <laughs> He's got such, like, the way his speech is, and it's so big, and I don't know, everything just seems so sensory, you know what I mean? It's very visceral. Yes. Yeah, it is very sensory. I was noticing that, that, that um, I, I don't know why, but I get real vibes of bottom from Midsummer Night's Dream with that speech of just, like, the raging roughs and shivering shots, you know, like. Dawn and Beauty and the Beast, you know? <laughs> just like really huge language and image and like sort of just I, I I don't know how else just bombastic like I just get a sense of Petruchio and then you know at the end I love Grumio punctuating it with yeah he doesn't fear any of those things like the whole point of the speech and he's like conclusion he does not fear those things um, <laughs> like, because it needed to be stated. It wasn't obvious enough, right? <laughs> if only Kevin Klein were still young. <laughs> oh my God, Kevin <laughs> Klein would. Yeah, nobody does. Nobody does bombast like Kevin Klein. My goodness. Um, okay, so in comes enter Tranio. I love this brave, meaning splendidly dressed pretending to be Lucentio along with Biondello. So I, one of the things I, I also quite loved from 
the Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor was that Tranio, because Lucentio was quite a bit taller than Tranio, like the clothes were a little bit too big for him and the hat just kept like falling over his eyes. And I, <laughs> I do love little hints that like something isn't quite right, but then nobody really picks <laughs> up on it. Um, I just feel like the costuming for this play could just be so much fun. And that would really help to kind of keep up with who's who, at least the audience senses, wait, this is not how it's supposed to be. I don't know how yeah. it's supposed to be, but this isn't it. <laughs> yeah, the ha- I just, the hat, it, like he just kept having to push the hat up on his head and it was such a great <laughs> little, and the sleeves were too big and it was just like, it just worked really well. Um, yeah, also I think we just, everyone needs to buy Grumio dinner. That's the other, that's the other conclusion I have guy's like he's the hungry servant right it's like harlequino always hungry um yeah (laughs) okay great um now we're gonna launch into into rhyme uh with the entrance of tranio pretending to be lucentio pretending to be a newcomer to town who is has heard about bianca and would like to marry her adding a third wooer to this complicated love quadrangle as it were (laughs) Um, So let's just launch right in and we'll go through to the end of the scene. Gentlemen, God save you. If I may be so bold, tell me. I beseech you, which is the readiest way to the house of Signor Baptista Minola? He that has the two fair daughters. Is it he you mean? Even he, Biandello. Hark you, sir. You mean not her to... Perhaps him and her, sir. What have you to do? Not her that chides, sir, at any hand, I pray. I love no chiders, sir. Biandello, let's away. Well begun, Tranio. Sir, a word ere you go. Are you a suitor to the maid you talk of? Yea or no? And if I be, sir, is it any offense? No, if without more words you will get you hence. Why, sir, I pray. Are the streets not as free for me as for you? But so is not she. For what reason, I beseech you? For this reason, if you'll know, she's the choice love of Signor Gremio. That she's the chosen of Signor Hortensio. Softly, my masters. If you be gentlemen, do me this right. Hear me with patience. Baptista is a noble gentleman to whom my father is not all unknown. And were his daughter fairer than she is, she may more suitors have and me for one. Fair Lita's daughter had a thousand wooers. Then, well, one more may fair Bianca have, and so she shall. Lucentio shall make one, though Paris came in hope to speed alone. What, this gentleman will out-talk us all? Sir, give him head. I know he'll prove a jade. Hortensio, to what end are all these words? Sir, let me be so bold as to ask you. Did you yet ever see Baptista's daughter? No, sir but here I do that he hath two. The one is famous for a scolding ton, as the other for beauteous modesty. Sir, sir, the first's for me, let her go by. Yea, leave that labor to great Hercules, and let it be more than Alcides twelve. Sir, understand you this of me, in sooth. The youngest daughter whom you hearken for, her father keeps from all access of suitors and will not promise her to any man until the elder sister first be wed. The younger then is free, and not before. 
it be so, sir, that you are the man must set us all and me against the rest. And if you break the ice and do this feat, achieve the elder, set the younger free for our access, who haps shall be to have her, will not so graceless be to be in great. Sir, you say well, and well you do conceive, and since you do profess to be a suitor, you must, as we do, gratify this gentleman, to whom we all rest generally beholding. Sir, I shall not be in slack, in sign whereof, please ye, we may contrive this afternoon and quaff caresses to our mistress's health, and do as adversaries do in law, strive mightily, but eat and drink as friends. Oh, excellent, excellent motion. motion. Fellows, <laughs> let's be gone. The motion's good indeed, and be it so. Petruchio, I shall be your benvenuto. <laughs> Lovely. Um, so, you know what? Why don't we split up that Grumio and Biondello thing? So, <laughs> Grumio, why don't you say, oh, excellent motion? And Biondello, let's say, fellows, let's be gone. Because it has to do Dope. with eat and drink. I want to give that to Grumio and then we'll do Biondello. <laughs> <laughs> um, wonderful. Uh, so, I love that Petruchio's already racked up all this money from these three guys, right? Hortensio's like, oh, yeah, you've got to pay him. (laughs) And then when Lucentio comes in as the third woo, it's like, oh, yeah, we all have to pay him. (laughs) And (laughs) Petruchio's just like, cool, give me the monies. Um, Yeah, what a... (laughs) There's a very comedic little... Little triangle here with with Tranio, Hortensio, and Gremio all trying to, like, figure out who's the alpha if you will in this little trio of wooers um and Tradio really seems to be holding his own pretending to be lucentio which is really fun yeah he's doing a great job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. bringing in some of that uh some of that uh ovid that he knows so well <laughs> lita's daughter right hercules yeah. Oh, no, that's Gremio who says the Hercules thing. But he's certainly putting uh, Gremio a little bit on edge because he's like, who is this guy? He's talking circles around all of us. <laughs> yeah. What does it mean, though, Paris came in hope to speed alone? Right. So even if Paris were to come and woo Bianca, right? Paris being um, the wooer of Helen, of Troy, oh, right? right? He left his wife and child to go and pursue Orlando Bloom, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> or as I like to call him, Orlando the Broom. So there's, uh, I love that Petruchio starts getting super like overprotective. It's like, no, no, the scolding one, uh uh-uh, uh, that one's for me. Don't you touch her. <laughs> He's already sort of envisioned who she is and is like, I'm going to claim her. Yeah, I don't know if it's. You know, if it's that alpha male, like, oh, well, she's the feistiest one. So if I go in and I pick the, you know, thorniest rose, then that makes me the manliest man. Or if you know, the, more they, the more they talk about her, you know, just he builds her up in his mind. But yeah, I, I noticed that. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I've never seen that before where he's already being like, because he, he knows these guys are going for her. So why has he got already that sort of, you know, machismo about it? I don't know. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, Koi. Hey, I'm sorry. I just I'm sorry. I just need for the audiences listening, maybe potentially screaming about alpha beta male stuff, because I know if I was an audience, I'd be going on this. It comes from a guy who was studying wolves. And by the time he published the book that he wrote, 
he already had uh, basically proven that his own theory about alpha males were wrong. Mm. So he published, he created a book studying uh, wolf packs, uh, created this alpha male idea for the wolves. As he published it, he realized his research was wrong. But by the time it was out, it became a bestseller. And the you idea mean it was, was wrong about wolves or just that it was wrong yeah. about it's wrong about wolves. It's wrong about um, mammals in general. It's we as humans have taken uh, have kind of latched onto the concept because we like hierarchy. Mm. And alpha male is this thing that's like powerful male, archetypal male, powerful thing. But there's a lot of gender stuff in that. There's a lot of where we're coming mm. from as as you know Europeans. Um, and it's now in America, from what I know, been taken on this language by a lot of people um, on the proto-fascist left or, or right or nationalistic side, like a lot of in that incel culture. Yeah. So I just for everyone listening, it's it, it is potentially problematic. Even we're not I, I think oh, a lot yeah. of people are using it now. We're talking about it kind of within the, the character sense and not necessarily knowing where it's come from. I'm talking about it with, I guess, that connotation to it as well, that it's a performative sort of um, like archetype and not necessarily something that's, you know, scientific. I, I guess yeah. I was using it in terms of like shorthand for status within a group, right? Which, Which is, is cool and great all the time. Yeah. yeah. And shorthand is perfect for moving forward. And I just wanted to address anyone because yeah. I'm sometimes that audience member in podcasts being like, what do you mean? Stop! Like, you know, kind of like address <laughs> the thing. So I'm just wanting to address that so yeah, that yeah, we don't get angry letters or something. Yeah, That's no, absolutely. And, you know, it's something we, we did tie the sort of the framing, right, of alpha and beta to a certain extent uh when we were talking through two gentlemen of verona as actually the status imbalance is kind of what leads to a release of violence right and that it it, mm. it definitely um and jealousy and a whole lot of toxic behavior can come out of per perceived notions of status within a group can can lead to some sure. really ugly behavior which is actually what we found was the useful part of 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 that yeah and um, and and as a descriptor like it obviously it holds it, it's re it's relevant in and in as much as it can help us describe something or shorthanded mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. for sure Definitely. well especially within a culture like the one in the play that's very uh you know tr based in traditional gender roles and sort of machismo and the competing men and the you know i mean that that's sort of the whole theme of this play so within that context yeah. you know the Yes, the uh, you know there are there's no such thing as an actual alpha or beta or whatever in human society that's not scientifically accurate at all. But but it's a you know reasonably decent shorthand for this sort of behavior. And I would also just add that um, were I to be staging this scene, it would depend a huge amount on the status and people trying to establish their status over the other members particularly yeah. with this little triangle of tronio uh gremio and hortensio and like who kind of has the upper hand at which moment and are they all kind of circling around petruchio you know and is petruchio just yeah. automatically put in the the sort of highest status position in the playing space you know um well and something something, something oh, that's yeah. Sorry, go yeah. Ahead. sorry sorry but something something that's important to kind of like like uh, uh, I guess our question, are we acknowledging it or how are we acknowledging it is that within the implicit definition of, of alpha is, is a lot of physical 
capacity, right? Mm -hmm. Potential for violence. Um, the, the fact that, that the alpha male has the potential or capacity to engage in violence and use violence to protect their position um, is something that kind of is built in, baked into that concept. So mm -hmm. is, is this, a st it's a status thing that has physical violence behind it as a kind of legitimizer. And is that something that we're, we're wanting to play with or not? That's kind of up to the production and up to whoever and the casting. Well, as we, I think we'll see that Petruchio does not use a lot of physical violence, right? He never- mm, Which kind of undermines his game. alpha quality almost. Well, hey, I don't think so because in, in, terms of, in terms of like uh, traditional classical masculinity and what it means to be the, you know, the perfect- embodiment of, of the masculine archetype i think that you know the the, the perfect man can can be violent but doesn't right, right. but should not do that they they have nobility and self-control and that actually gives them status even though they could whoop everyone's butts they don't they you know Trufio is the easiest going one in that last scene and that's because yeah. he knew he had that power you know he can sit back and eat his apple because if anything you know hits the fan yeah. He's physically capable of showing up. I mean, who knows? Yeah. But I just, that's how I read it as that alpha male. When I think of alpha male, I lend myself into thinking what a man, I guess, should be in that role versus how we describe it as, you know. I, well, it's I important. Also, yeah. yeah. I also think that there is a way that all of them, right, are trying to prove something to each other in this scene. And what kind of makes this scene complicated, just not sort of staging it and just hearing it, is I think everyone is trying to, 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 to spray their corner as it were right? like everyone is trying to like put their stamp on the situation and and try and figure out where they are in the pecking order as it were um and i think you know something just the power of space right and the status of space um one of the most interesting experiences i had as an actor was um my last time acting before the uh pandemic i was uh performing with a group in japan and we had absolutely no rehearsal time really i mean it was like two days to put up a whole shakespeare play and we never we would only get 30 minutes in the space before we would perform so we never really knew what our spaces looked like until we got there and so the only exercise that we would do when we would get there well one of the only exercises we would do is we would get in the room we would look around we would figure out where we wanted to put the audience that was like one and then two within that space what is the power position of this space? What is the highest status point in this space? And we would find that, and that was all the all the staging that we got. We would just agree upon what is the PowerPoint. <laughs> Not PowerPoint, but the what is the 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 spot with the highest amount of power? And then we would just launch right into the show from there. Um, so I, I do think that um, space-wise, it would be really interesting thinking about status of just like Petruchio again with the apple, right? Like leaning against like somewhere in the back. And then every time he speaks, everyone just stops and like looks and listens to to him. And they're all sort of posturing, right? And trying to like outdo each other wit-wise, but that he actually draws attention and commands attention like without putting him in center stage or downstage that he's able to pull focus whenever he wants to which is not something one of my can do right so that's an yeah one of my favorite things in yeah. in shakespeare with characters is is seeing characters that are treated with they're treated as having a certain quality and they almost never do it 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like Othello, Othello never really fights in the show, but he's constantly treated as a warrior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And whenever you have a character who's treated in a way, but they never really do it in their lines on stage. I find that fat. It's a really cool. It's this extra little thing that gets sprinkled on top and it's important yeah. for your casting and for your physicality. And it's like, it adds so much. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think something to me that ties both Petruchio and Catherine together is they both have that effect on whatever room they're in, right? They both pull focus. If they're on stage, we're looking at them. And to me, that is kind of why the pairing works in a certain sense and why I feel like we get an earthquake when they finally do meet for the first time because it's like who do I look at who do I look at you know you just it's like a tennis match you're just looking back and forth but um any other thoughts about just where we are act one where we've come from this all happened the exposition happened really fast um only two scenes in act one and we're already set up with let's see three people in disguise right Tranio's in disguise Lucentio's in disguise Hortensio's about to be in disguise um, everyone is lying to each other. <laughs> and um, we know that there is pretended tutoring going on for three of the characters, right? Tranio is probably going to engage tutors to tutor him as Lucentio. Um, and Lucentio is going to pretend to be a tutor. And Hortensio is also going to pretend to be a tutor. So the, there's all this like pretend education happening as well. Um, that's what's, what's setting us up for for Act 2. Um, are there any final thoughts on Act 1? I guess I'm just struck by one thing. I'll, I'll keep this short. But just that in the mind of, I think, the audience, an audience member who knows this play but hasn't seen it for a while maybe, what we remember is, you know, the the battle of words between Kate and Petruchio and and the sort of horrible mistreatment of you know that petruchio uh puts on kate and so forth but i think the play like i've really uh been struck reading act one by how much the play is also about male the male competition of all the all the other characters to to get the girl and uh, there's just so much uh, you know emphasis put on that process and the lengths to which the ridiculous nonsense that men do in their kind of struggle to compete with each other and that i think it's very applicable to all time periods you know i mean throughout human history we've had this situation where you know human females are very picky and there's you know typically you have and competing for you know for for women uh, because most men just don't cut it with women right <laughs> that's just how it is and the statistics bear that out that like the the top you know a small percentage of men get all the women basically and that's always been the case throughout history and I think the play is just as much interested in that and how silly that makes men as it is in the actual Kane Petruchio dynamic. Well, I think a huge amount of the squabbling is and as you say the ridiculous lengths to which these characters go without really talking to each other right we don't see these guys talking with bianca we don't have any sense of what her feelings are (laughs) about any of these guys um and in fact i think as we go forward it's going to be really important to notice the difference between how baptista interacts with petruchio 
and what his demands of Petruchio are when it comes to his daughter versus how he juggles the different Bianca suitors and what and how he does not actually consult Bianca on any of that, right? Um, so that'll be something really interesting to track as we go on to Act 2. So thank you, everyone. 